0: Aujourd'hui, Wait, wait, let me get my French accent ready. Try some great stuff. It's delicious. Okay, today on Writers Get Animated.
1: Ma vie de courgette. My life as a zucchini. Restez à l'écoute.
0: Stay tuned. Good day, and welcome to Writers Get Animated, a podcast about storytelling and animation. And today, zucchinis. I'm Chris Leva. I'm Mackenzie Worrell, and I apologize for my bad French. And I apologize for my bad French accent. <laughs> it's just as good as and McGregor's. Ooh. Oh. He... He has admitted in interviews that it wasn't very good when he first recorded. Thankfully, they let him re-record the whole performance after the fact. So, there's that. So sorry, Yuan. Apparently, when I do French accents, I have to do it in a game show host voice.
1: (laughs) It's like if a Japanese game show host was doing a French version of a show.
0: Again, I'm really bad at accents and really bad at impressions. So I don't I mean, have a hey, lot going for I don't for speak me. French at all. Like, our intro is just Google
1: Translate and me guessing. Well, there we so are. So um, I know.
0: As we said in our introduction in French and in French accent, we are talking today <laughs> about My Life as a Zucchini, uh, one of the sh- movies from 2016, that we did not get to, but we felt was important to give it its own block of time to discuss. And I think it's, I'm really glad that we are giving this one some time in the sun. Mm-hmm. I, I feel uh, like that it's- that a zucchini
1: pun? Were you going for zucchini pun there?
0: No, I wasn't. Um, I stopped myself because I couldn't think of anything funny to say about it because i am just excited to be able to talk about this one this one is really interesting and i think there's a lot to unpack so mm-hmm. i'm ex- i'm excited to talk about this one this is one i wanted to see but it didn't come out right away and then yes. it was only playing in a couple in one theater here in columbus and it was hard to see and you know they they released the english version and the subtitled version out there. So I watched the subtitled version. You watched the English I dub. watched the
1: English dub version. In our defense for not making this podcast recording earlier, it's because it wasn't available in theaters until after the Academy Awards. And as such, people have lost interest in it, which is why it's playing at 425 in the afternoon. And that's it in the only theater for 100 miles. Um, so, I mean... It's really good. You should see it if you can. You probably can't by the time this podcast comes out. Unless
0: Um, uh, it's available on DVD. Right now you could pre-order it on iTunes, so you could eventually watch this film.
1: Yeah. No release date, but you can pre-order it, unlike any Studio Ghibli movies,
0: so it has that going for it. Exactly. But uh, I'm, I'm really excited to talk about this one because it's dark in a really good... Way I think there's a lot of character, there's smaller story and, but it's, it's like one of my plays on screen. I'm going to say okay. in terms of, I, I make an argument about for myself as a writer and, and reading some smaller plays, I, I think it plays out more like a theatrical play than a big epic movie or a uh, I think it puts more in line with the independent film, of course, because of smaller budgets and smaller story. But I think the reason why I'm saying that is usually we're used to animated films that try to change the entire world. So they go on these epic journeys and, and they change things huge, you know, in huge, massive ways. And there's, mm-hmm. it just tries to be bigger and bigger and bigger. And I think you don't have to change the world you have to change their world. You have to change the world of the characters themselves. And there's a lot mm-hmm. of change that these characters have to deal with. And most of the journey is internal and small, but huge yes. in terms of their personally.
1: And with all the, the kid characters in the movie, like, I kept thinking, this feels like a French, hey, Arnold. Um, <laughs>
0: I didn't think of it that way, but it so fits. Yes.
1: (laughs) Yeah. The dynamic is there. It's like a whole bunch of vignettes that alternate between telling the plot and describing their characters. Um, and it's not an ensemble piece, but it kind of feels that way sometimes because it's about their collective journey at this, uh, this place for a while. Mm -hmm. Um, So that really stuck with me, and uh, there's a scene when they're all dancing when they go um, to the ski resort, question mark, Um, and they're playing in the snow, and they're, like, having, like, an indoor dance party. I'm like, oh, that looks like summer camp slash, like, a Charlie Brown, like, dance scene. That's what this looks like.
0: Right. With some really happening music.
1: Yeah. Uh, I want the soundtrack, but I... Um, we could also probably do a podcast. Or at least I could do a podcast on writers get French pop music, um, <laughs> because I'm I'm secretly French on the inside. I think, but just for music, not for anything else. And this movie, well, Swiss French. Oh, all right. Swench, swench,
0: Fwiss? <laughs> I like Swiss, better. <laughs> So uh, let's talk a little bit about what this film is. As we, now we've talked about the wonderful experience that we had watching it and gave people a little bit of a hors d'oeuvre, if there's a French word, uh, wow. about what we're going to be discussing and how we're going to be discussing this particular film. I'm sorry. I, it was French. It's, it worked. I had to say it. What is my life as a zucchini, Mackenzie.
1: Uh, so, My Life is a Zucchini, a.k.a. Uh, Ma Vie de Cogette, is based on a um, novel or graphic novel? Novel. Novel. Um, based on a novel by, and I'm sorry to the author, Giles Parry?
0: Not right. I'm fairly certain that's not right. Gile? Gile? I don't know. I should have looked up the pronunciation.
1: I'm sorry. G-I-L-L-E-S. Last name. P-A-R-I-S. Uh, it's a 2002 novel. Um, there's previously, as you know, Chris, a French live-action television film, um, which I think is interesting that there is a live-action adaptation of this before the animated one.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I'm trying to think of like other examples where there was a live-action adaptation before an animated adaptation.
0: There aren't too many. Usually you go the opposite way. Usually you're going from there's an animated version and then you go to a live action version later on. I, mm-hmm. think, I think a lot of things that are with younger characters might try to go the live action and then to animation because I think it's easier to animate the acting of children than to direct the live action acting of children, to be honest. Yeah. I
1: mean, child actors are hard. They're hard. And when you have a cast of child actors, like that's a lot. And more power to this film, at least in the English dub, for getting
0: <laughs> um, some good, believable performances out of the children they've cast. Mm-hmm. And in the, the subtitled version that I saw, the the children were really good in it. You got a lot out of it. And one thing Their about... The subtitles were spot on. Yeah, the subtitles were great. No, but what, what, I, what I mean by that is usually, and this is a problem I have with watching a lot of subtitles, whether it's a, a subtitled scene in Star Wars or a subtitled scene for, you know or a subtitled film just in general, is I tend to ignore the subtitles at times. Mm. I forget the subtitles are there because film is a visual medium and mm-hmm. they should be telling most of the story through visuals. So you shouldn't. You could have the volume down, in a lot of just in general, and be able to get most of the story.
1: And well, that's the big directing hand. Like this is something that I learned in directing in college. If you're directing a stage play, you want people to, if they aren't listening to any of the words or can't hear it all, you want them to understand what's happening on stage. So mm-hmm. when you direct a a play where you just have a text of dialogue. Uh, your job as a director is to make sure that people understand what's happening without getting any of the stuff that the author's already provided you for this play. That's right.
0: So I think that visuals should tell most of the story. And I found this to be true um, from the very beginning of the film, in the opening sequence, which is rough and amazingly beautiful and subtle and harsh and <laughs> and uh it stayed with me like the whole i had to watch it again i think i watched it Mm -hmm. like three times before i watched the rest of the film um i was just like in my in my head i was just going like oh my gosh oh my gosh oh my gosh re-watching it in my brain and i think that while normally on the show we say spoilers and then
1: don't steer away from spoilers um and i hope you agree with me on this one i think that for this we shouldn't spoil what happens in the opening scene because that's part of what makes it so interesting I, and it'll be hard not to spoil but I think we can talk about it vaguely enough
0: yes I mean it, there are things that that happen in the <laughs> what am I going to say about this how can I say this without spoiling too much in the, in the Wikipedia or IMDB or anything where it talks about this film it says in the what was it It says, after the mother's sudden death, is what they say. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what we get to experience in that first scene is all about subtlety, and it's you don't need the subtitles at Mm -hmm. all in that opening sequence. With sound design, with gesture, with placement of staging of where the characters are because it's stop motion. So it's physical staging. So it's a lot closer to theater slash uh, regular filmmaking to have them actually staged in a particular spot. Mm -hmm. But to be, it, it feels very claustrophobic and really well done. And then the audio, while, seemingly on the nose in terms of thunder and lightning and things like that being used are so evocative it's it's remarkable
1: i mostly agree with the exception of one thing i think i would not call it claustrophobic i think i would call it the opposite of that you would call it the opposite of claustrophobic
0: that opening scene
1: i think so yeah um One thing that I really enjoy about this film is the, the animation and it pulls its focus where it knows it needs to go. Um, it has just the most wonderful, exquisite details in the foreground that clue you into something about a character or a place like when they pull up to the, uh, the home later, like the, uh, the orphanage home thing, foster home, (laughs) the foster home. Um, And there's like all the graffiti kind of along the outer wall of the foster home and uh, Simon's graffiti is on the walls of the home and the interior wall. I'm like, Oh, this is so interesting. It tells you so much about that. And the art styles are different and you learn like there's someone on the outside and someone on the inside. Um, But in the background of that, you have just like these plain green landscapes that go into the distance with like a single um, undetailed tree Mm -hmm. and it's just kind of empty in the background um, because you don't care about that part. You care about what's in the foreground. And I think the same is true in the rooms at the beginning. There's a focus on emptiness, um, and how much room there is to be filled. Uh, you mentioned the sound design and there's a sound design effect of all the cans that, um, Zucchini's playing with at the beginning. Uh, the, most of the sounds in the opening sequence are the, the sound of empty cans against each other on the floor and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, I think that a lot of the art is not about claustrophobia, but in about how, how big a space is, especially because of the set design with zucchini's room of having a mattress, but no other furniture, like no bed, just a mattress oh, and a chair. So for me, I guess that's what I got out of it.
0: Mm. I felt like in, in some way, because this is my life as a zucchini based on, a book entitled "Autobiography of a Zucchini." You know that this is a child's retelling of their story. I feel like the the it, it felt more like a play space or a diorama that a child mm-hmm. could actually put together. And that's not a knock on the artwork. That's um, what's the opposite of a knock? Uh, compliment. That's what I mean. <laughs> I, I so rarely use that word, apparently. Um, it's a compliment in terms of it feels like it's what a child would put together to try to work through something that happened and play, adding that play and recreating their world and recreating their play space. It feels like that. So I think that stop motion, because of its texture, because of its realness, because of its, of its tactileness, I think it was the right choice to tell this story to be honest i agree
1: it's it's not kubo in how technically advanced it is but that's also a compliment to the artistry of this film it doesn't need to be technically advanced and smooth it can be just good quality classic stop motion and that's exactly what you want out
0: of this childlike diorama of the events and i like the roughness of it if i think if it had been a little clean i think i would have been taken out of it or if it had been done in 3D and i watched it in 3D i think there would have been something taken out of it i think you need that separation from it and to to really feel it and even though it's not as technically advanced and i think we're only bringing up Kubo because of the stop motion nature we're not really saying that this is that they are at odds with each other that one no, very
1: different movies and
0: we're not saying that one is better than the other by any means in terms of You know, Kubo's stop motion is the way to go versus Zucchini's stop motion. We're not saying that either. We're just using them because they're both stop motion films and you can look at them in terms of artistry and storytelling Mm -hmm. separately. But I think that because of the stakes being smaller, that these are all internal for these characters, that... The journey is an internal journey. Yes, there are external things that happen to Zucchini, in terms of going to the foster home and learning to work with these new kids. You know, dealing with Simon, Simone, who's a, a bully and turn, starts off as an antagonist, but also finding you know, infatuation with Camille when she shows up on the scene. But these are all internal things. These are all small internal moments that are going through. It's not zucchini against the world, and there's not something huge that's lingering over. It's it's just a lot of things that he's dealing with inside. And I think that the art direction and the choices that they made and the materials match that. And I think mm-hmm. if they had added anything more, it would have taken you away from, from it. And even though it's not as sophisticated or, um, I guess, as you were saying, smooth as the animation in Kubo, they still are able to act with amazing, amazing subtlety.
1: Yeah, just, I mean, it's a stylistic choice. And while the stylistic choice of Kubo is more expensive <laughs> yeah. and requires a lot more technological savvy to execute, that doesn't mean that it's a better style, like you're saying. It's it's a different style. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's certainly impressive, and I like it, but I also like this.
0: Yes. I, I like this a lot because of the smallness of it. I, I enjoyed the small detail that they added. And as you were saying, the detail is only as necessary. So you're really Mm -hmm. focusing on that. I think of moments like after we have Zucchini going to the, the foster home and Raymond, the police officer who befriends him is driving him there and says, you know, you could fly your kite if you want to on the way. And you just see the subtle thing of him starting to Raymond, starting to go faster Mm -hmm. So he can get the kite in the air and putting the light on the top of the car. So it will, he's able to to go faster and keep the car going. It's just that moment. There's no dialogue. It's just a small little moment of detail. It's just, it tells you everything it needs to in just a matter of moments and silence.
1: It's a great character moment. It's a character moment that happens between two plot points. They're literally on the way from one plot point to another. And that's an opportunity to add in character because you already know where they're going and what's going to happen. There's no suspense. It's not like Zucchini's trying to escape the car or anything. Right. There's no stakes there. When there's
0: no stakes, characters can be themselves. And I think that's the thing. You have to, because it's stop motion, I think that when you're doing a scene, it has to mean more. Because... If I'm going to spend three days animating this scene. (laughs) Only three? Right. (laughs) I'm being generous. I'm trying to, if I'm going to spend a week on three minutes worth of, of movie, I want those three minutes to say something and mean something. And that's one thing about this film too, is every moment feels necessary and means something. I felt it's only uh, it's less than 70 minutes long. I feel, I feel it's like it's 65 or 66 minutes long. So it's a shorter, it's very short, but every moment means something.
1: Yes. And I mean this in the best way possible. Um, it doesn't feel like a short movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I can name Disney movies that I love that as an adult feel very short. Mm -hmm. because you expect like a lot more to happen or you remember like a lot more happening and it's just, it's not that long and it feels like it's not that long. And this movie tells like a complete childhood
0: in 60 some minutes. Mm -hmm. It tells everything about these characters. It goes through bullying, it goes through love. It even talks about sex. I mean, it talks about so much about these children's world, abuse, Mm -hmm. trauma, recovery, um, finding family, how you define family, how you define friendship, all of that in 60 some minutes. And it feels so rich.
1: What I like about the characters in this movie, the kids especially, is that they all have reacted to their traumas in different ways. Um, And one thing that I really appreciated was, Simon slash Simone, um, because he shows affection through his bullying and teasing. And that's such like a real thing that I've seen in real life. It Mm -hmm. just, it hit me really hard. It's not a two-dimensional character at all. Simon might have been my favorite character in the movie because he was so well-developed in his emotions and what he wanted.
0: Well, usually when you're, and this is coming from my day job, but usually when you have somebody who's experienced some kind of trauma... They, they'll they have their ways of acting out in order to get something that they want. So his bullying, his behavior is about getting something that he needs, and they're understanding that. They're understanding that his bullying is attention-getting or affection-wanting. I want to feel safe, like I'm in control of something, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to bully somebody else. Or I want affection, but I still want to – be better than you somehow. So I don't know how else to do it than being the one in power in some mm-hmm. way. But it, it feels amazingly real because you get to see both sides of him as vulnerable, as hurt, as I'm acting out of hurt. And you understand yeah. that all of these characters are acting out of pain. And it's so nice Two, to see adult characters, um, the people who are the caregivers, acting from such a a place of understanding of what these children are going through. Yes, there are some ugly adult characters in terms of their behavior, but you see damage. But the, the adult caregivers aren't like this orphan Annie, you know evil people trying to take advantage of somebody they're they're these actual caring adults and it's Mm -hmm. so lovely to see adults that care and can be good parent figures
1: and more or less they're in the background of the movie too like they're not absolutely they're not main character caregivers like they're there and they're present they're supportive for the kids lives and they talk about them Um, but ultimately this movie isn't about their relationship with
0: the adults Right. It's It's with themselves. Mhm. It's their internals and then between each other, between children to children, peer to peer. And it doesn't have to be about finding something through the adults, cuz usually in something like this you would have to an adult take over the storytelling and that doesn't happen here. I mean, it's nice that Raymond as the one adult who does carry thing through and acts as a motivator in so many ways and takes us to the ending of the film. I think that it's, it's nice that they, even he is a supporting character. He's, Mm -hmm. he doesn't rise to the level of main character.
1: Yes. And in the English dub, um, Raymond is voiced by Nick Offerman, which I must say is a perfect choice because Nick Offerman is so he has such a distinctive voice, um, but it's also very um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's um, demure. It's secondary. Like it's, it's such a introverted voice that he has while mm-hmm. being distinctive. Um, and that just tells who Raymond is as a character. Like he's not the main character. He just has like these gruff agreements and I like yous. And <laughs> that's how he builds this relationship.
0: Which is pretty much Ron Swanson in a lot Yes, of-
1: it's Ron Swanson as a French cop. <laughs> Everything Ron Swanson
0: hates in life. <laughs> the cops and French people.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think that that's the one thing. After I watched the one with subtitles, after I was done, I went home and was able to watch the clips from the English dub to see... The different performances and it was interesting to see the scene between him and a um in or zucchini in the detective's office take taking his doing the intake and understanding about what's going on and um, getting his name and the in, interrogation. well not interrogation interview between the two of them and i was like I think his voice works really well for that role. It's, it's a really nice role. Mm-hmm. but um, So I feel like I want to see the English dub at some point. One, because I want to watch the movie again. And two, I, th- I think it would give a, another layer to it, too.
1: I have an unpopular opinion that I feel needs to be shared. Um, I hate subtitles. I will always see an English dub over the original language. Wow. Because like you said, I like to watch the movie. Mm-hmm. I like to watch the movie, not the subtitles. And I don't spend my entire time reading. And I'm so much of, we are writers and we get animated. So we focus on the words. We want to know what the words, uh, the author intended are, which means at least for me that I focus on the subtitles and I don't want to, mm-hmm. the same is true for like any Japanese, like studio Ghibli or anime movie. Like I will, Always see the dub, and people make fun of me for this, and I don't care. I prefer the English dub. Not saying it's better. I prefer
0: it. What, I think what you're saying is you prefer the experience of the English dub over the experience mm-hmm. of having to read subtitles. Yes. If you knew French, it would be another thing.
1: Yeah, that I would watch the French version with
0: no subtitles turned on. Exactly. If I knew French that's what i'm saying but the experience of having that i think it takes you emotionally out of it and i could say for me well as i was watching it having to your eyes bouncing to the action to the text action text action text you're missing something if i'm watching the action i'm missing the text maybe i'm missing something subtle that they're trying to say i'm missing something dialogue wise if i'm reading i'm missing a performance Mm-hmm. Which is why generally I was just watching. And then every now and again I'm like, I wonder what's going on. <laughs> this is this is not um,
1: oh, what's the word? What's the movie? Uh, what's that awful Netflix movie? This is not Leo the Lion where you have to read the subtitles to understand what's happening in the movie. This is a good movie. Right. You don't need the subtitles.
0: Honestly I think I ignored them about seventy five to eighty percent of the time mm-hmm. I can't tell you what most of the dialogue was because it wasn't necessary to the story that I watched some good
1: moments I'm sure some very good moments
0: I know there's some interesting points when you know the children are discussing different things, and you know there's not a lot going on. you just see zucchini's face as he's in bed and you're listening to what other people are saying so There's not a lot of action going on. And all you're getting is from the dialogue. But I feel for the most part, like that's why I give it about 75%, I wasn't really paying attention to the text at the bottom of the screen, which means I think I have to watch it again to get some of that. And I might choose the English dub. If I had been able to watch the English dub, I might have done that. But it was only the subtitle version.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, so yeah. Watch it. Tweet at us which were which version you prefer. For funsies, I just want to know. <laughs> we won't
0: do anything with that data. No, we won't. Not just like we never do anything with the data that we do get on any of the time we poll people. So <laughs> it's just nice to poll people. I just
1: like hearing from you. Uh, so, tell me... So, you've talked a lot about the characters and the subtitles. Let's talk about... Uh, the perspective of the children in this movie. Like, they they use several moments to kind of communicate, like, a child's perspective on something. And as an adult watching this movie and kind of go like, oh, that's such a wrong interpretation of what's happening.
0: <laughs> Do you have an example?
1: Um. I do love the father superhero kite. Mm, yes. Um, which tells you so much about like how Zucchini views his dad. And then just on the other side, a couple times in the movie, you see the other side of the kite, and it's like this, this chicken. You're like, why is there a chicken on the other side of this kite? And finally, um, I think he's telling Raymond, mm-hmm. possibly. Yes. And he's like, why is there a chicken? And he says, oh, my mom always said that my dad like chicks a lot you're like oh this is definitely not what your mom meant
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah not at all
1: yeah uh so i just thought that was such a nice touch because i love i love moments in a movie where you get like a child's perspective on something because it's so confusing as an adult and i'm sure that uh you as a father have heard things from jack you're like, what are you talking about?
0: And it, it eventually makes sense. They, they learn things and they define things as one way. They don't know separate definitions for things. So, they may use what I love is their own descriptions to describe something that's going on or take something at face value as the only meaning. They don't understand subtlety or metaphor. Mm -hmm. or analogy, or anything like that. It's, this is face value. Oh, wait, this is exactly this? Oh, goodness. Oh, that must mean that they are this. It's like, oh, he literally likes chickens. Okay, wonderful. That's...
1: (laughs) What a great dad.
0: What a great dad. I I love chickens myself. I'm I'm pretty partial to them and the way they It's like, (laughs) it's really interesting. Um, But yeah, the, the children's perspective and them just having fun, like the indoor snowball fight. Mm -hmm. Just these little small moments of them trying to understand their world and understand what's going on. Like when Camille first comes in and they're just trying to figure out who is this person and uncover the mysteries. And they go down to figure out the file and see what's, what's in the file and what what was her story? Why is she there? It's that it's really nice to understand this childhood curiosity that they have about each other.
1: And, it's, and at the same time, like, they are... I mean, they are emotionally impacted by why she's there, but they're not... It's not something that's a difficult concept to explain to the kids. It's... And it's not spoilers. Camille's parents, um, her... Camille's father off screen um, kills her mother and then kills himself in front of Camille. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what they find. That's what Simon and Zucchini find in the file. And they're just like, oh, that's sad. Um, what else is there there? And it's, it's not like, oh, why did he do this? What There's not all these questions. It's like, oh, well, that happened. That sucks. Moving on. Um, and I think that's something that I appreciate in kids movies because there's not like this need to explain what that means. It's assuming that Mm -hmm. they are adult enough to understand it.
0: And I think there's also a piece of it, which is all they want to know is where are the parents? Because you go to this home because your parents are not around. So I think they're trying to answer, are they dead? Are they not in their lives? Are they in jail? Like that's what they're trying to figure out is why don't you have a mother and a father? Because each one of them has a different answer for that question. And that's the only question that really matters. Where are your parents? That's what they're trying to answer. They're not like, what's wrong with you? They're just like, I know that you're here because you don't have parents. So what happened to your parents? And once you figure out just the the details of that, there's nothing else to ask. And then it doesn't matter. Then you are just who you are. It's just... Where did your parents go?
1: And I, for me, the
0: journey of this movie
1: is like at the beginning. It is assuming that because their parents are gone, and they say this outright, there's no one left to love you. Right. And that's where they start. And I think that as the movie goes on, it's about realizing that their parents are the aren't the only people who give them love in their life. They give each other love. They have to love themselves. They have these supportive adults at the home who love them. Um, it's about realizing that.
0: I guess I don't know what it's about realizing that, but life goes on. Well, I think there there is something that, that says to a child, to a child, the only source of love seems to be your parents. That's what they're th- there for. They're there to take care of you. They're there to love you. And that's the sole purpose of a parent is to be totally therefore, you as a child. That's how your parents are defined. Now, your friends are fun, you know, there are other people in your life, but the parents are just this pillar of unending, um, what's the word? Uh, I'm looking for... Not, Feet. What was that? Feet? No, no. <laughs> un Not unrequited. What's the un... Oh my gosh, why can't I think of this word? I'm... Uncensored? Not uncensored. <laughs> unconditional. That's the word. Th- they are a source of unconditional love and acceptance for you. as a Even child.
1: though for many of these kids, they
0: haven't been an unconditional source. Right. But the concept of parent, the concept of mother, the concept of father, that's who they are. So once you remove that, you think, well, there's the person who was supposed to love me. Isn't around anymore. Mm -hmm. The one person whose sole job was loving me is out of the picture, whether jail or left or dead. You know they're gone. So where is my constant, unconditional source of love going to come from? Because you're you're afraid that there are conditions put on love by friends and other relationships and there there's something about the assumed idea of unconditional parental love that children rightly or wrongly have.
1: Mhm. And even when they haven't had good parents, they still love their parents. Mhm. Like zucchini talks only fondly about his mother.
0: Right. And keeps a piece of her with him. That was so heartbreaking. Yeah. It's just, and he and he keeps the name that she gave him, which seems to be, to everyone else, a source of insult. Now, this is something that I was wondering about, is the name Zucchini.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What? What'd you find out? I, I don't know. <laughs> because I didn't look it up. It's just a question that I had, but... I took it as it feels like an insult, doesn't it? It if, does. It feels like she's insulting him. And I, I, I hear you're typing furiously.
1: No, that's just how I regularly type. I'm trying to type subtly.
0: <laughs> type, 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 type. You should have just said typing, 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 type, type, type. Like that would have been. type, 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 type. type like a dog.
1: I have no idea what I'm doing.
0: so is it is it an insult
1: Uh, I feel like it's so specific to this movie it's not something that I can quickly look up Um, I'm not finding anything quickly okay I also want to know but I, I don't know
0: it, it feels I've like, yeah, it feels like, if we take it from just its context in the film, it feels like an insult, and it's an insult that he continues to want to be defined as because that was the name his mother gave him. That's the name is, you know, it's, it's like me wanting to be called jerkface. Like, no, no, <laughs> that's the name my mother wanted for, she didn't. I'm, I'm not saying that my mother called me jerkface. I don't want anyone (laughs) to believe that my mother, rest her soul, called me jerk face Um, (laughs) because she didn't. But uh, (laughs) I'm just saying that's what it felt like. It felt like I'm going to take this insult as my name because it's another thing that I can save from my mom, Mm -hmm. however bad or good she was. I can still be the person who was loved and defined by my mother,
1: mm-hmm. and as, I think that's why he like takes after Simon so quickly too, because he's used to having interpreting insults as affection.
0: Mm-hmm. And Simon calls him potato head, or potato,
1: which is another reason I thought, "Hey, Arnold!" Right, <laughs> a football head. Yeah it's, it's a, a gritty French remake of Hey Arnold with stop action.
0: <laughs> so what, what else do we have to say about this film in terms of character or story? I feel like we've said a lot in terms of what they use to go through it. Um, did you have anything else that you wanted to point out about the film? I know it's,
1: I don't think I do. I feel like we've covered all the big points that I had in my head. Okay.
0: Do you have a favorite thing from this film? Uh, I love the use of writing
1: letters in terms of child's crayon drawings. Mm. When they send letters to each other, or more specifically when Zucchini sends letters to people, he accompanies it with four or five crayon drawings that he's done. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think those tell a wonderful story. Um, and at one point it takes you out of child world and into adult world because he sends like this, this picture that he's made of two of his teachers or a couple to Raymond to like summarize, like they're having a baby. And it's like his two teachers naked. <laughs> and you could see Raymond just going like, what is happening? <laughs> Why did I get this in the mail? Um, so it's both effective in terms of the child to child letters and effective as child to adult letter.
0: Hmm. Yeah. I my my favorite thing. I th- I have two and they're the the bookends of the film. The the opening scene, just mm-hmm. just wholesale, from opening moment and the way that this storm subtly starts coming in and everything that whole scene. I wish I could have paused it. <laughs> I wish I could have paused it like i i I think I missed part of the next scene in my brain because I just kept reliving that moment. <laughs> oh like like I said, I kept watching it over and over in my head. It was like, "Oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And then, um that the end where we see the different pictures being taken, of trying to get nine kids to smile or to have a good <laughs> picture which it's impossible to get in my experience it's impossible to get two kids to smile and take a good picture let alone like seven or eight <laughs> kids <laughs> to do a good job and take a picture so just that it's just so small and it just leaves you with such a good feeling at the end that you know what these these are all kids who are damaged in some way or traumatized in some way, but they're all going to be somehow OK. Somehow, for these kids, there's some kind of happy ending. And I didn't feel like the movie oversimplified that. I just think it said it didn't say that things were going to be easy for them. It's that somehow something's going to work out in some small way. Here's, yeah. here's a small bit of happiness that these kids will continue to have.
1: And if this is based on a true story, I'd love to know where all these kids are now. Right. If you are one of these kids tweeted us at (laughs) WG Animated. I'm
0: I wanna this is one of the I think it's one of the rare cases where I wanna go back to the source material and dig in because I want more of this world. So I'm looking I wanna go back into the the source material. And that's always a good thing in my boat. It's like, wait, I wanna go and have more? Where is more? Autobiography, Dune, Cojiet. Exactly. There you go. There we go. Oh, I feel like a lot of catharsis happening right now. I just feel like
1: bow, bow, bow. you're just blasting those feelings. Oh.
0: like it's it's. I, I'm proud of myself for not crying because I felt myself getting a little emotional here <laughs> and there, but I'm I'm good. I'm I made it through. So, do you feel strong enough to do homework time for us? I think so. Let's let's talk homework time. For next time with homework time, we're going to be doing something that's uh, not the opposite of what we talked about this week, but a little bit on the lighter side of things. We're going to be talking about Tangled before ever after,
1: which is the sequel to Tangled slash the premiere of the new Tangled TV
0: series on Disney channel. It's essentially this generation's return of Jafar in terms of what it's attempting to do. Not we'll talk about that. Right. In terms of mm-hmm. what it's doing, it's a movie to jumpstart an animated series based on a really sarcastic and zany film from Disney. In that I'm holding all my thoughts. In that way, I- in that way, it's just Return of Jafar in terms of what it's doing. But watch it. Watch it. Disney Channel. Tangled before ever after. I feel like you just traumatized my childhood. Sorry. By bringing <laughs> it up again? By bringing up Return to yeah. Jafar again? I'm sorry. Yeah, still scarred. Still scarred. Um, as always, thank you to our engineer, Nigel Catino, and to Jacob Reed for our theme music. You can catch us on the web and tweet at us at WG Animated on Facebook.com slash WG Animated. And You can find all of our show notes and links to things that are interesting about this episode and videos at our Tumblr, .tumblr writersgetanimated.tumblr.com. Au revoir. Bonsoir, everybody. Oh, wow, that was really bad. Bonsoir, Clarice. I don't know why I want to say Clarice at the end of that. I don't know. Good night, everybody.
1: Bom...